Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Bad Taste Crime Podcast coming at you with some ooky spooky stories. I'm Janelle. I'm Piggy. And I'm sorry, but I can't help it. I need to do accents. Hello, hello. <laughs> We're here for you, governor. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. If this is your first time listening. Are you listening? <laughs> oh, my God. This is the first time listening. A special hello to you. We've got a great show for you today. Um, it's a real downer. It's always a downer. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you, but it's it'll be interesting. Um, so stick along for this wild ride. It's gonna be weird. It's gonna be weird. It's gonna, it's be, gonna weird. be real weird. <laughs> real weird. But first, let's head over to the newsroom. So this week, okay, so I should have mentioned this in the intro, I feel Uh-oh. like, because <laughs> this episode, we typically do not get super political on this podcast. Right. The yeah. nature of what we're talking about today, it just ends up going there anyway, at least for me. I, yeah, mine's definitely about not po- politics, but definitely how media yeah. affects things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would carry that theme over into our news today. Sweet. <laughs> so this week, um, our news, it comes from straight from NBC News. Um, three men, 20-year-old Christopher Brenner Cook from Columbus, Ohio, 24-year-old Alan Frost from West Lafayette, Indiana, and 22-year-old Matthew Sowell from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, pled guilty to providing material support to terrorism after hatching a plot to disrupt the electricity grid in order to sow civil unrest and economic uncertainty in the hopes of triggering a race war. Oh, I thought they were going to say anarchy. I was like, I'm down for blowing up some credit card buildings a la Fight Club. Oh, but it's about a race war. No, it's about a race war. Never mind. Yeah, it's about a race war. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, They also, part of the plan was to kill themselves using what they called suicide necklaces. um, Oh, boy. Containing fentanyl. 
That's one way to do it. If they, <laughs> if they were discovered by law enforcement. Um, police had actually pulled over Cook and Sawell in Ohio, where Sawell had taken some of the fentanyl, but he survived. Well, I mean, what does that say about him? His proclivities yeah. outside of this. <laughs> the men met originally in a chat room in 2019, where they began... Oh Hatching the plan. 4chan, 8chan. <laughs> Again, directly from the article, quote, Cook maintained the group's ideology by giving his co-conspirators a reading list that reinforced white supremacy and neo-Nazism. Let me guess. Turner Diaries. I don't know what was on All it. of Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Prob- yeah. Probably. Yeah, probably. Probably. Got it yeah, right on the head. So they had, and I'm just going to go right to the article for this stuff. Yeah. They had... The, the plan was to shut down the the grid, right? Yeah. And part of their plan was also to, like, recruit people into this big plot. Like, this every, – every single step of this had, like, the earmarks <coughs> of white supremacy. Like – But, like, on their conspiracy board, how does electrical grid shutdown equal race riot? I Dude, I don't know. I want to see the in-between of this sandwich, um, of this fascist sandwich. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the trio decided to disable electricity substations in major regions of the nation, essentially by shooting at them. Frost and, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Frost and Cook trained with an Armalite semi-automatic rifle to prepare. Let's see. Oh, here. They had conversations about how the possibility of the power being out for many months could cause war, even a race war, and induce the next Great Depression. Does that answer your question? <laughs> um, no, because didn't all of Texas have their power out for how many weeks because of snow and nothing happened except for Ted Cruz going on a vacation? Oh, my God. Don't even get me started. I mean. I'm fucking over you, If you're going to hatch a fucking plan, you need yeah. to think this shit out. First of all, just shutting the power down isn't going to do jack shit. Also, FEMA will come up in there. The Red Cross will come up in there. Like, you need to have a little bit more of a plan then. We're going to turn the lights out. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to incite a rice roller. So what I will say is because they were charged and have taken a guilty plea, they originally mm-hmm. were claiming innocence, but they've since taken a guilty plea. They have not been sentenced as of yet. And the case itself remains under seal. So a lot of these details, I have a Which feeling. Which means they're, they're trying to get other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have a feeling that we will not know specific details other than what we know now for a while until the mm-hmm. case is unsealed. I just found this one really interesting because there does seem to be this um, trend where you have these white supremacist groups that are like starting as these small little contingents of like three or four people yeah. that are going into these, like you mentioned, HN, four. Chan, yeah, parlor, we, yeah, parlor was like, what I was thinking, man. Going in and trying to recruit people right now, it's especially happening because, oh my god, this, this is going to be way in the rabbit hole for a minute. But okay, let's go. Um, Take me down right now. It's it's especially happening because you have all of these people who were QAnon followers, yeah, who are becoming disillusioned with the movement and white mm-hmm. supremacist groups are seeing that as their opportunity to be like, hey, switching bait. If you thing. liked QAnon, you're gonna love white supremacy. Like <laughs> it's like your TikTok suggestion. Yes, yeah, it's like the for you page for fucking neo Nazis. Like. Yeah. So that is and that is the thing that happens. Like, it's easy for people who are involved in one sort of conspiracy movement to be easily swayed over to these more radical. Yeah, because um, if you have one, movements. if you have one common thread in between them, like mm-hmm. the same thing with the Alex Jones thing, the Alex Jones to QAnon to the fascist mm-hmm. groups, 
they all have like one or two things that they're all that they all agree on that they all see eye to eye on. So it's very easy to kind of flip somebody or push yeah. them further into a different direction. We're like, well, I like this thing. Yeah. Maybe you also like this. Yeah. Like, and then the next got, thing you know, you're storming the Capitol. Right? Nobody <laughs> wants children to be diddled. But also, oh my God. Have you seen this crazy thing happening? Yeah. 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 So, um, just something to keep an eye on. Every once in a while, I like to mention these things because I, I don't know if there are people who are maybe not as involved in all things internet culture that realize mm-hmm. this shit is happening but it is happening like yeah i listen to a lot of time anarchist based podcasts mm-hmm. so they give you a lot of news without a slant mm-hmm. because it's like look at this fucking stupid shit that's happening right now you yeah. know anarchy yeah. um <laughs> so a lot of the things that i listen to will bring up these things yeah. and like they were bringing up the you know the convoy in canada and then the other oh, the political convention that was happening last weekend oh they my had god like a, they had like another one that was white supremacist based yeah. it's the a something a yep and um, what's his face spoke and is like i don't Taylor see Green anything went everything there yeah i don't see anything yeah. wrong with speaking to a group of white supremacists but that just shows like jesus all of the fringe things kind of cross meshing everywhere yeah um, but that's why I, the, all those like anarchist mm-hmm. shows that I listen to are just like, do you see how crazy, how easy it is to get incite someone's anger by just saying this? We relate on this. You mm-hmm. could also, yeah, potentially yeah. like this thing. A uh, hint. That's also how people get recruited into cults. Yes. Just, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, there's a lot of crossover there. I am waiting for the day. So I listened to this podcast called "Was I in a Cult?" And I'm waiting for they like did like. LuLaRoe as one. Mm-hmm. They go in deep. They had a podcast about how this woman thought her family was a cult. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the political-based ones because Ooh. I know it is coming. That, I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds really it's good. It's a good That show. sounds like something I'd be into. Mm-hmm. They were both also in a cult. Oh, great. He was a Mormon and okay. she was in a cult that was that began as an acting school. Okay. And turned into a weird guru thing. Cool. cool. So they both have very firsthand experience of that. Okay. Um, but they tell really great stories and they look at what does it mean to be a cult? Can anything be a cult? How mm-hmm. easy is it to get pulled into a cult? Yeah. So yeah. it's really interesting. All Shout right. Out. So <laughs> with that, we are going to move on to Netflix and Kill. This week, we are talking about the Netflix sensation, Inventing Anna. I watched the whole thing. It's I okay. So it's true Shonda Rhimes esque. I if you enjoy fucking her work. loved it. I loved it. I loved every second of it. Yeah, and I'll let me tell you why. <clears throat> First <laughs> of all, please do. Because I was on the fence yes. for some of it. I was yeah. like, oh, this is a bit much. Okay. <laughs> First of all, for those of you that don't know, we are talking about. Um, so inventing Anna is a biographical. It's not a documentary. It's a biographical. What do they call those? Like the biopic. Bio biopic. Yeah. yeah. There are some obviously fictionalized parts. They are really clever about in every episode saying every part of this story is completely true except for the parts that aren't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. It's very funny. Um, That's a very common thing to do now. They did that. I watched the Joe and Carol show too about Joe. Oh. We will talk yeah. about that in a future episode. They did the I same not thing. They were like. Yet. this is true almost (laughs) it's also clever because in the case of Anna Sorokin which is who the show is about like that's very much her life like everything Mm -hmm. is completely true except for the stuff that isn't right yeah Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of like this nod wink to Anna Sorokin aka Anna Delvey so 
if you're unfamiliar, um, Anna Sorokin was a Russian-born German transplant. Transplant. <laughs> she left Germany and came to the U.S., where she essentially conned like New York's top socialites. Which apparently isn't that hard. It is not that People hard. Keep doing it. Yes. Um, <laughs> she was arrested. After defrauding or intentionally deceiving major financial institutions, banks, hotels, and like I said, socialites, uh, it was totaling $275,000. And she was convicted in a New York state court of attempted grand larceny, larceny in the second degree, and theft of services. She was sentenced to 4 to 12 years in prison and was released actually this year or I'm sorry, last year in 2021, but she was immediately taken into the custody of ICE uh, Mm -hmm. detention for overseeing her visa. They're working to get her sent back to Germany for overseeing Mm -hmm. her visa, but she's still in ICE detention, like fighting that case. Okay. Yeah. Inventing Anna. The one major thing that I've heard from people, it seems people either really like it or people could not watch it because of her accent. Yeah, that was the hard part. <laughs> Which I'm like, the thing The thing is, is like, okay, she does have an unusual accent. She's mm-hmm. speaking in English with a very heavy, like, a, it's like a combination of German and Russian yeah. accent. And I know the woman had a particularly strange accent. You yes. can hear her. But like, there were some points where you could just hear how, fo- like, how she was really forced in it. Yeah. So, but I'm also like, that's how she sounds, though. Like, that's really how yeah. she sounds. So the way the show is set up is it follows this uh, writer for the Manhattan named Vivian something, mm-hmm. um, who is that is not her name in real life. It's no. based off of another um, the woman who did write the article follows her as she is investigating Anna and interviewing her while she is in prison. So mm-hmm. it's sort of as the case is progressing, they have these look backs onto the stuff that Anna was doing. Um, the people that she was involved with, the scam she was pulling. There's definitely, I mean, you know me, I love like a good fraud story. Mm-hmm. There's definitely something about this that has you sort of rooting for her because like for me, it's very much like this eat the rich mentality. Yeah, like, exactly. Fuck those people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, like <laughs> homegirl was like on a large scale of she, fraud. She went a little crazy. There yeah. was a line where it was like, you could have gotten away with it and not like push yourself too far into it, mm-hmm. but then she crossed it. Yeah. <laughs> she crossed it hard. Yeah. And she did have um, some of the people represented in the show, all of the people represented in the show have real life counterparts. So, yeah. The only thing that was like, they did, this is the weird thing. The guy who played her boyfriend is yes. a conglomerate of people because of the sensitive nature of a lot of what a, these people are doing, mm-hmm. you can get sued very easily. So they kind of mashed some characters together so that they would avoid lawsuits. The other thing was <laughs> in the court filings and in the article, he was never named mm-hmm. um, as a, uh, like they just never they never put out his name. So people don't necessarily know who he is. Mm-hmm. He was a tech yeah, but she uh, dated entrepreneur. a couple guys at once. She she was but. living with the guy who was running Fire Festival. Yes, <laughs> which is like, yes, literally. There are parts what of that show tell you about that you're like, this happening. can't have happened, and it fucking did. Yeah, Billy, <clears throat> his name is Billy something. Yeah, um, but like that moment, I was she like, this him. just goes she to was, show you how fucked everything. She is. was going out to dinner with Martin Scarelli. Yep, yeah. like 
remember him guys like yeah, what that a guy? fuck farmer bro <laughs> yeah the stupid farmer bro like what an asshole mm-hmm. these people yeah she was just like you know Have hanging out with yeah if you want something that is not a documentary which there are a lot of these series you you mentioned jovi carroll we will be talking about uh the theranos one. Oh yeah i started um, watching that i started watching mm-hmm. that uh, which amanda see drop out in that the dropout yeah mm-hmm. amanda seafried in that is amazing um it's like spot her. on Anna. but I we will her voice oh yes my God. we will talk about that on a later episode but like this is the trend that is happening now where mm-hmm. they are having these biopic series come out about these crimes that were really really popular rather than releasing documentaries a lot of these like the dropout is based on a podcast of the mm-hmm. same name which if you've not listened we've to it, talked about it yeah we've yeah. definitely talked about it i would encourage you to listen to it it's really really good and it followed her trial which if you don't know recently finished up i know we we talked about that the last i think the, in one of our more recent episodes when mm-hmm. we did kind of the quick fire news so yeah um and she got married in the middle of that I was like what the fuck and how what had a baby <laughs> like what yes so we'll be talking you'll probably hear more of those in the next couple episodes i think we're definitely mm-hmm. going to be looking at some of those because they i mean they have big name actors kate mckinnon yeah. i think is yeah. right and she she does like a dead on care i can't wait to talk oh, about that the one jokes but, are so good too. oh my god like the dry Yes. Yeah. We'll have, we'll, we will get to all of that. <laughs> but for now, this is that part of the show where you say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. We will be talking about child sexual abuse. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mine too. I mean, yeah. yeah. We're, uh, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Yeah. I realize not everybody's super yeah. comfortable with that subject. I just need to, we need to put it out there. There's also going to be some discussion in politics. Again, not something we typically do, but I also want to put that wording out there because it's going to get real hairy yeah, <laughs> later. Yeah. But yeah. Janelle, why don't you tell us what we're talking about today? Well, I've wanted to talk about this story for a while. So I had a fascination with like England when I was younger because I was really obsessed with the sex pistols. I still do. I, I mean, to a degree. So Every once in a while, I get pulled back in, like when I watch a period drama like Downton Abbey or whatever. Yeah. Um, or Bridgerton. Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, girl, I really want some crumpets. Um, <laughs> so I know a, I knew a little bit about this gentleman. And this episode actually was kind of more prompted because of the docuseries I had watched the about Bill Cosby. We need to talk about Cosby. I don't know if you saw Okay, that. I have not seen that it's yet. It's really good. You I'm sure we will, should fucking watch it. We will talk about it on the show when, when yeah, I get there. I highly recommend it. It takes apart, like, our obsession with celebrity and how a lot of times we choose not to see things that are happening because we are so, like – inundated with the celebrity like we just get so starstruck that we just kind of everything around that becomes fuzzy okay so it's like less about cosby and more about the way we as a society sort of view celebrity and it's all about that issue through his case and how he became a celebrity okay okay so it's it's really interesting um it kind of gets into like you know constructing image and controlling and no consequences for those rich people but i wanted to look at the british version of that and this is going to be like the life and crimes of the pervert sexual predator jimmy seville yeah what a fucking weirdo i'm looking forward to this but yeah he's a weird dude yeah yeah look up a picture of him yeah and you'll be like, what the he actual kind of, fuck? He kind of reminds me of like a blonde version of the berries and cream. 
guy. Yeah, he also looks like Captain Kangaroo a little bit, minus the mustache. What was... See, I'm uh, like, when was the last time I saw a picture Captain of Captain Kangaroo. Kangaroo? Yeah, he gives me hardcore Captain Kangaroo vibes. So Jimmy Savile was born in 1926 in Leeds, England. Um, this was just after World War One, and it was like the time when like Ireland was fighting for separation from England. There was like all of this financial turmoil in England because, you know, World War One really fucked shit up. Yeah. And then shortly after his birth, the world was pushed into the Great Depression, which affected like everybody. And it was worldwide. We th- we tend to think it's very, like, centralized to the United States, but a lot of people depended on us, so it affected everything. And it mm-hmm. really affected England. In a 1989 Times London article, Seville was quoted as saying, quote, I was forged in the crucible of want, and I consider myself far more privileged. And I wanted to put that in here because I really think that encapsulates his behavior. <laughs> Okay. To a T. So he was forged during the Great Depression, an era of wanting simple things. Sure. And now that he had become this rich dude and he was out of that, he could get whatever he wanted because of his privilege. Okay. So very interesting insight into his character. During World War II, at the age of 18, Seville was conscripted, which means that he was drafted, uh, to be a Bevan boy. If you don't know what that is, it's a group of boys who were sent to work in the coal mines during the war to increase production to aid the war efforts. So people were getting conscripted into other kinds of jobs that weren't really necessarily able to go into the army. Okay. So So they were run by the military, but they were just like regular... Regular degular jobs. Yeah. So people were conscripted into jobs and, you know, that were required for men. So they needed uh, a men in this specific job. So a lot of boys wanted to go work in these coal mines. Gotcha. Which is just really weird. Um, Shortly after starting there, however, there was an explosion that injured him. And he spent a short while in a metal corset and walked with a cane until he fully recovered. Okay. That's a... That's yeah, it's fashion. a look. It's definitely I was say, a look. That's a look, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was this time that kind of changed his career path. He's like, I'm not going to be working in these coal mines for my life. Um, So Seville would start his celebrity career as a radio hall DJ in 1940s London. So we're talking full World War II swing. All of these dances for, you know, the men in the war. Very, like, Casablanca-y kind of vibes coming off of this. He started to play at dance halls, and he claimed that he was the very first DJ because he was using two turntables and a microphone in his setup. Um, <laughs> okay. Of course, this is bullshit. <laughs> um, there are advertisements that go back to, like, the invention of fucking gramophones that display dual turntables. Oh, my God. So, like, it was always a thing. What a grifter. Yeah. And it was a very easy kind of marketing ploy. Like, why well, have one when you could have two and flawlessly transition from one record to the next? So, like, he just bought into it and was like, I am the person who created this. Right. He did okay. In the 1950s, he started working at Decca Records as well as playing ballrooms and dance halls. Now, the thing about the dance scene, however, it was full of underage girls. Oh, my God. Think of, like, American Bandstand. Okay. It was all screaming teenagers. Sure. After a certain hour at these dance halls, supposedly, no one was allowed in if they were under 18. But if you were cute and young and you had a tiny skirt on, more than likely they'd let you in anyway. Yeah. I've experienced this firsthand. As I say, that's very of the time, but like, that shit still happens. It still happens. I was let into lots of things illegally at 16. 
Yeah. If you got the bosoms, they let you in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Um, my God. Now, they were letting all these underage people in, not to mention the fact that they were also serving them fucking alcohol. Oh, of course. They were like, sure, girl, champagne, why not? Um, It was the perfect place for a sexual predator to work at. And he controlled the guest list as well. So he was letting certain people in and out and, you know – Definitely went heavy on the underage girls. Well, and they have a lower drinking age there anyway, right? Yeah. Is 18? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But they were letting people in that were like 14. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, even if they were, they had a time that was 18 and over, like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And this, like I said, was the heyday of American Bandstand and Dick Clark's. There were lots of people emulating his aesthetic and the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but Seville made sure to appeal to the, the younger crowd, specifically younger girls. That was his, like, forte. He always had a crowd of 16 to 17-year-old girls around him, like, everywhere he went, like a gaggle of teens. And this is where the first sexual allegations against him started. Okay. The natural next step to his career was to work at an actual radio DJ, which is what he started to do in 1958. First, he worked at Radio Luxembourg, which was the number one station at the time. Everyone knows Radio Luxembourg. Very, like, popular top of the pops, guys. Mm -hmm. Seville spent 10 years at this station, and at one point, he had six shows going at once. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. It was also at this time that he started working in TV a bit. Um, he was a presenter on Young at Heart, which was a music TV show, and he co-hosted television music shows, like, all over the place. Okay. Um, he was courted by BBC, and this is where it's going to get interesting, and appeared on Top of the Pops. That was his shit. That's where he got popular. That was his show. Yeah. And BBC was very interested in his, like, dynamic and his look. This is before he became Captain Kangaroo-esque. He was still yeah. a little, like, slicked back, kind of 1950s mod. Very mod still. Okay, okay. Um, I love that. His aesthetic the mod would change. mod look is like... Yeah. Mm. His aesthetic would change in the 70s to that weird, like, short, platinum blonde. It's so... Seriously, if you have not done it yet... Go look up a picture of him. He looks like a little Dutch boy. It's very weird. terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. I hate it. He was doing all these things, and he would be on set even at times that he was not scheduled to appear. He was, like, in control of everything. And there were several stories during this time of his misconduct, which were not, unsurprisingly, all ignored. Ian Hampton of the band Sparks was on the show 15 times, and he recalled in an interview a time where he questioned Seville's behavior. He stated he thought Seville considered Top of the Pops a hunting ground for young women. Yeah, And one night, he saw Seville take a girl to his dressing room, and after uh, some time, she left looking really shaken. So Hampton went to the producer and asked, what's the deal with Seville? And the producer told him not to be ridiculous. Okay. So there were people questioning his behavior. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Even some of the things he said on the show were weird and questionable. And I couldn't help but keep thinking about going back to Bill Cosby and all of his Spanish fly jokes. Yes. It was stuff – He, this guy was doing the same thing. He's, he is literally the British version of Bill Cosby. Oof. Um, he would grab and hold women. Some of them in the footage that I watched, you will see – they are visibly shaken. And I'm going to show you, like, there's a video link. We'll listen to it um, and we'll see some pictures of him 
actively grabbing and assaulting women on live television. Great. Um, some even resorted to just going limp like rag dolls and just letting him do whatever he wanted. Like there is a video clip of Top of the Pops. I watched a documentary. Okay. Um, and they showed a, like back-to-back video clips during this point. Dude, that's fucked up. There's this one point where he grabs this woman around her waist and then slides his hand up to her breast. And she just like, her face just goes blank. She just like becomes oh a rag God. doll. It, it was the most mortifying thing I've ever seen. That's horrible. Several women complained to all the producers and they were told to get lost. Wow. And to not come back. Uh, the minimum Classy. age, yeah, the minimum age for attendance for the show was 16, but it was widely known that girls as young as 13 were attending the recordings. Oh my God. Some were even invited backstage if they were dressed nicely enough. Um, and they'd be given champagne and told to party with the staff managers and, of course, Jimmy Seville. Ugh. One of these women was Kelly Gold, and they recalled going to the show dressed up and being invited to his dressing room. At the time, she was 15, and they gave her champagne. Um, she recalled the floor managers telling girls that they were asked to do uh, go to Seville's dressing room. Um, she stated that there was a day bed in his dressing room and that girls were being groomed in that room. Oh, my God. Um, there was a lot of touching and drinking that led to other things. And there were always more than one girls, like, in the room to make it seem like it was normal and fine. Wow. So That's fucked up. Very purposeful behavior. Yeah. Um, now, I'm going to show you a quick clip from one of the Top of the Pops episodes in the 70s to show you some of the, like, blatant assault on life camera. Okay. So we're just going to listen to this clip really quick, and we'll put the the link in there so you can watch it, too, because the picture I'm gonna come, is come on your side of the crazy. It's it. fine. We, have, we still have a commercial. <laughs> the trouble is, it's on air. You're, you, know, you, you know you're on air. You're with a very high-profile, popular presenter. He's literally got his hand where it shouldn't be and is assaulting you. What could you do in that situation? Well, I actually couldn't do anything because there was all people around and we were on steps and he was there and I couldn't move because there was too That's many people her. around and the camera was He's right grabbing her? in front of us. So, no, I couldn't get away. I told oh. the man that was next to the cameraman... Um, and he just told me to get uh, He lost. grabbed her ass and her waist. Um, that's just Jimmy. Go away. Did he? I mean, I don't want to go into too much detail, obviously, but did he put his hands under your clothes? Well, no, it was it just, just literally I had trousers on, not okay. skirt, but his hand was there just groping. fondly groping, yeah. yeah. And it wouldn't move. And um, I, I think the look on your fa- face is it's that sense of. I don't know what to do in this situation because we're on a, you know, we're on a show where I'm supposed to be having fun. Mm. And yet this hideous thing is happening to you. I was embarrassed because of all I could... Yeah, so that was... <laughs> that was... Uh, I have another video if you want to, wow. <laughs> if you want to come back for this oh, one. okay. Um, yeah, that was... So that um, was, like, the most blatant of him grabbing someone where she actively jumped out yeah. of her fucking seat. Yeah. Because that he groped her so hard. Really uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's so weird because it looks like he's not really moving at all because there's people in front of him blocking. Yeah, yeah. But this is just an MO. Oof. 
another woman who was interviewed was Colleen Nolan. She was only 14 at the time. And you can see in the video how he grabs her and talks about taking her to a motel. I have to, to mention, Colleen, that the, the unfortunate revelations about Jimmy Savile at the moment, which yeah. I think have disappointed and shocked us all. You yourself had experience of working with him. What, was your, what were your feelings? She's 14 time? in this. Well, you know, at the time I was 14 and it was just an uncomfortable situation. Well, you, you found know. yourself in a situation with him. Yes, I mean, he was, um, the girls were doing Top of the Pops and um, I stood with him while he made the announcement. And it was an uncomfortable situation the way he held me. And then he mentioned about um, going to a hotel. But that, you know, you didn't talk about those things then, didn't think anything more of it. I just thought, oh, I don't like that. You know, 14-year-old, and to me, he was 112 then. You know, at 14, and I thought, no, thanks. What but you... now, obviously, compared to what else has come out and these other women, I mean, it's so much more about them. What, what happened to me was just... Yeah, and like you been, say, yeah. what could have been? Who knows what could have been if I'd have been on my own? But luckily, I was at the backup of um, the Witches of Eastwick. Do you so. think it is? <laughs> so, in that clip, he is... If you watch the full video, he starts much higher, yeah. uh, touching her boob, and then oh slides God. his hand down to her waist. And she is 14 years old in, like, a fucking yeah. pantsuit. Yeah. And her sisters are playing the show, and he's with her, inter like kind of like talking to her while they introduce the the girls mm -hmm. and just groping her on live air and then after they cut the mic basically asking her and joking like we're gonna go to a motel later yeah just fucking creepy up. disgusting behavior now this is a trigger warning for suicide so i want to skip that okay here we go <laughs> In 1971, Claire McAlpine was a 15-year-old dancer who was frequently on the show. Claire was seen going into Seville's dressing room several times. Just one year later, Claire told Kelly Gold, who we had talked about uh, earlier, mm -hmm. that she thought she might be pregnant as she was very, very late. Ooh. Not long after this, Claire McAlpine took her life. The picture they posted in the paper below, you can see her uh, next to Seville, which appears like they're actually holding hands in the picture. McAlpine was adopted, which affected her greatly. And her adopted mother, not long before her death, came to the BBC to report that a celebrity had been seducing her underage daughter. Oh, God. They obviously brushed her off. Good job, BBC. Um, and this part of the story would not come out until decades later. But the documentary interviewed Kelly Gold and they showed this picture and it straight up looks like they're fucking holding hands. And she was 15 years old. Yeah. And the rumors are that he got her pregnant. And oh, it's just no. unfortunate, but she killed herself. Yeah. Because obviously there was nothing she thought she could do. Right. So this is like one of the sadder parts of the story, but it just goes to show like the absolute blatant disregard yeah. that he had for any of these women. Yeah. In 1968, he also started to work at Radio 1, and he started doing this show called Savile's Travels. He had his own caravan trailer that he took around to do his show, because he would go all over. And he would travel around, and he would often brag about having underage girls in his travel like, uh, travel caravan. Jeez, what a slime ball. So he's doing Top of the Pops groping girls on here. Yeah. He's doing his Savile's Travels, going around, coercing young women into his trailer. Jesus. Um, so doing doing a lot. Yeah. In the late 70s into the early 80s, Savile started uh, some philanthropic affairs. Okay. This would be his main focus for a long time and become a secondary area for him to assault women. Oh. 
Great. So he started to donate large sums of money to hospitals first, and then he began to volunteer as a porter. He raised money for the spinal unit, uh, NCIC, which is the National Spinal Injury Center, and St. Francis Ward, which is a ward for children and teens with spinal cord injuries. Okay. Saville also volunteered at Leeds General Infirmary and Broadmoor Hospital. His main focus, though, was at Stoke Mandeville Hospital, where he had his own bedroom on site. That's uh, not, that it's not doesn't seem at all. troublesome. Mm-hmm. One woman whose name had been redacted in this story um, started there uh, to get spinal treatment for a genetic disease. She met Saville there. One day while he was visiting, he wheeled her back to her room, um, you know, kind of just like a, let me do this for you, kind of a gesture. According to her, quote, he put his hands on my legs, stared me in the eyes, and proceeded to assault me. Wow. She was so afraid of talking about it as everyone thought he was an angel. And because of his work and donations, he was able to have unsupervised visits on premise with basically anyone. So this whole time I was thinking, well, maybe he's doing some of this philanthropic work work out of guilt, because that is a thing that happens to us. I think especially when you see like um, like white collar crime, like they use Mm -hmm. philanthropy as sort of a way to, you know, look over here kind of a thing. Yeah. Which definitely seems like that's more of what this is. It's like, hey, look over here at all this good I'm doing. But it also, like you said, got him the benefit of having unsupervised visits to these. Yeah. People. What who, really struck me was his having a bed. Yeah. The bedroom wild. at the hospital? That's weird. What? That's weird. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me at all. That would definitely not be something that, that happens That's the now. biggest fucking red flag I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, like, you really can't weird. miss that. That's weird. In addition to all of this, he would also do marathons to help raise money for research. He donated large sums to research, and from 1974 to 1988, Saville was the honorary president of FAB, which is the Physically Handicapped and the Able-Bodied Community Organization, which is so fucked up because he is assaulting all of these women. Um, Yeah. At this time, he also wrote an autobiography called As It Happens in 1974, which contains admissions of improper sexual conduct in 1978. So again... I just kept drawing all of these connections back to Cosby because yeah. he would talk about how he would drug women as a joke. And it's not a joke. He was no. really doing that. Yeah. Ugh. So in 1978, Johnny Rotten, if you're not familiar with who he is, Sex Pistols, he was doing an interview about his new uh, gig, the public image where he was like just chatting and is a very fucking long interview. You can listen to it on YouTube. Okay. Um, but he was quoted in this interview because he started talking about Savile's sexual misconduct. It's a really interesting thing. It started off where they were talking about how he was very anti-establishment and he doesn't like celebrity and he doesn't like to be out in the public eye and be seen, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the whole impetus for his public image project. Okay. Um, But Leiden stated, quote, I'd like to kill Jimmy Savile. I think he's a hypocrite. I bet he's into all kinds of seediness that we all know about, but we're not allowed to talk about it. I know some rumors. He added, I bet none of this will be allowed out. So this was 1978. Oh, my God. That totally gives me, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've seen it. There was that interview with um, Courtney Cox, Courtney something on the red carpet that said oh if you can give advice to women and young women in the business like what would it be and she was like don't go to a hotel room with harvey weinstein 
Have you seen oh, yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's Court, uh, Courtney Love. Courtney Love. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I was, <laughs> okay. and that is like, so, you know, I, the, you always talk about hindsight, right? Like mm-hmm. in hindsight, all this shit looks really sketchy in hindsight. The Spanish fly set looks really fucking sketchy. Like that's all in height, mm-hmm. but it's, you look at, it's just like very eerie and people yeah. were not listening. The BBC mm-hmm. was not listening. Like, no, they purposefully covered this up. Yeah. So yeah. that's the other aspect of this case that we'll get into. Yeah. So from 1975 until 1994, he also had a show that he presented called Jim will fix it, which was an, early Saturday evening television program in which he arranged for the wishes of viewers, mainly children, to come true. So this was another opportunity for him to commit some uh, sex crimes. Wow. Seville then set up two charities, the Jimmy Seville Stoke Mandeville Hospital Trust in 1981 and the Leeds-based Jimmy Savile Charitable Trust in 1984. He even had a good relationship with the royal family. Okay, Mm. that doesn't surprise me. Well, royal, the royal family, like, <laughs> I have are very... pederasts? Is that what you're saying, Vicky? <laughs> I have very mixed feelings on the royal family, but the fact is, is they house a lot of really unsavory characters within their ranks. Yep. To put it lightly, you know. Very lightly. Very lightly. <laughs> so he um, <clears throat> befriended Prince Charles and Margaret Thatcher. Nobody <laughs> liked Margaret Thatcher, so that's fine. Thatcher even wanted to knight him. But there was public outcry as he was quoted in the paper saying he would pick up young girls during charity marathons. That's fucked up. (laughs) However, he was eventually knighted in 1990. Oh, my God. Yep. Jesus. So it was also during this time that he became really close to Prince Charles. He would often show up unannounced to their home. Uh, He was even seen licking Princess Diana's hand at a gig that caused a huge rift between the prince and the princess. It was supposed to be a joke. Well, and because he was a jester of sorts, yeah. people didn't think that was abnormal. Yeah. Because he did weird shit all the time. But she, she like, fucking knew that he was a creep. Yeah. She knew. Well, she was married she told to him, a fucking creep. Yeah, so. <laughs> she told Prince Charles that he was not allowed at their home ever again. Yeah. Dude, okay. So here, here is the deal. Like... Princess Di knew he was a creep because she was married to a fucking creep and mm-hmm. knew it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can look at what's happening now and... Look at the company you keep. Yeah. Like, Prince Charles was literally cheating on Prince Diana the entire time they were together. Epstein's flight list. Epstein's flight Hello. list. Wow. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, we're not a political podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is why but. I had to give just like a blanket political warning for this podcast. Because yeah. especially in mine, like we're going to get into it. Yeah. Into the shit. But like, it's just, it's unavoidable when you have stuff like this that is so far reaching into government. Mm-hmm. It just, it, ha- it and the for, royals can do no wrong. For some reason, the government seems to attract people who like to sexually abuse other people, whether it's children oh. or women or boys. They just want to be like, in a- a position of power nonstop. Oh. Yeah. Weird how that works out. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Sorry. It's I'll fine. Get no. off of my soap. You didn't bring your soapbox in today. I didn't bring your soapbox. Yeah. So it was the most appropriate day to bring it. <laughs> um, in 1997, Seville had quadruple bypass surgery, and he really started to scale it back. Kind of like Bill Cosby. <laughs> Oh, God. When he started not being able to see because of the cataracts. Jesus. I was like, God damn it. He is the English Bill Cosby. He really is. 
He would still continue to do charity work and make appearances, including an interview in 2009, which uh, with his biographer working on a new updated version of his book, he made several comments defending viewers of child pornography, stating they weren't doing the acts, only viewing them. Uh, what? I repeat, (laughs) he defended people who viewed child pornography. That's fucked up. He even defended Gary Glitter, who, if you're not familiar, was famously outed for having child pornography. That's fucking weird, man. (sighs) That's just not right. Yeah. So Seville was only ever formally interviewed regarding his crimes once. In 2007, Seville was interviewed under caution by police investigating an allegation of indecent assault in the 1970s at the now-closed Duncroft-approved school for girls near Staines, Surrey, where he was a regular visitor. Again, fucking creepy. Yeah. The girls' school was for at-risk women, and tales of abuse were fucking rampant. This was discussed in length in several articles that were published in 2015. The article in The Guardian that I read outlined that Seville committed 46 sexual assaults on 22 pupils and one visitor. Wow. 13 victims were abused on at least two occasions by Seville, and five were assaulted when the school was under the control of Bernardo's Children's Charity in October 1976. I feel like his total is somewhere in the hundreds isn't it oh yeah of oh yeah at least women that he (coughs) sexually abused like that's insane yep detectives found that 25 of seville's 46 sexual offenses took place within the duncraft's grounds including in and around the principal's office the entrance to the fucking school the communal tv room the kitchen and the dining room Ugh. Of the abuse that took place off-site, 13 attacks were allegedly carried out in Seville's car. The nature of Seville's offending offending ranged from non-consensual kissing to forced oral sex. Jesus. And these were girls who were already at a bad point yeah. in their life. They had to go live basically in an orphanage. And they were just Jesus. left there to be assaulted by this man who would Oof. come and go as he pleased. Mm-hmm. The tragedy of this story is that Seville's crimes were not outed or publicized until after his death. Seville died in 2011 with a grandiose funeral. His casket was displayed in Queen's Hotel in Leeds, and 4,000 people attended his funeral. Oof. Immediately after his death, BBC Newsnight started an investigation. So they're like the dateline of England. This is where the Duncroft school stories came out, which would open the door for a flood of stories about his abuse to just unravel the whole goddamn thing. Interesting, because I feel like the BBC... Oh, they did not let it out at first. Yeah. I was going to say, the BBC was clearly, like, covering There were up. court cases. There was a whole... Like, that Newsnight story is, in and of itself, a whole nother okay. episode. Okay. On September 20th, 2012, almost a year after his death, ITV said it would broadcast a documentary as part of its exposure series called The Other Side of Jimmy Seville. So after Newsnight started airing stuff, it was just a cavalcade of people going off on this guy. Yeah. And I've heard um, some really good things about the (coughs) exposure series, actually, Mm -hmm. that they like their investigations are really, really good. Yeah. Um, Was that the documentary that you had watched? No. I watched a different one. I think I'm. I watched a little bit of that one, but there was another one that was way more in depth. 
um, that I watched. But it's up there somewhere in the notes. Okay. Um, yeah. I think it was on Conspire or something. Gotcha. Um, okay. So, in 2012, Metro Police set up a unit to investigate his crimes. By October, there were 400 lines of inquiry based on testimony from 200 witnesses via 14 police forces across the UK. Holy shit. Over 450 victims had contacted the police. Where did he find the time? Honestly. I really don't know. Honestly. I guess when you're doing it while you're working, yeah, right? it's not so hard. While you're so actively up. on television, being filmed. Ugh. Um, the investigators described the alleged abuse as, quote, on an unprecedented scale and the number of potential victims as, quote, staggering. It was shortly after these stories aired that businesses and charities uh, started removing plaques and memorials to Seville. Good. His family even went as far as removing his headstone. Wow. They trashed it and sent it to a dump. He still has an unmarked grave to this day. Really? Yep. That's how far they went. They Good. were so appalled by the allegations that they removed his fucking headstone. Good. Now, I'm going to just give you a brief timeline of the press after he passed for the story break because it's really interesting to see things kind of just kind of go out of control okay this is 2012 on october 8th bbc director general george entwistle appeared on the today program newsnight reporter liz mckennion emails him to express her unhappiness over the handling of the newsnight seville story because they were trying to stop everything okay entwistle asks ken mcquarrie bbc scotland director to investigate why the show was initially axed so they wouldn't let it go, and eventually it went off the chain. On October 13th, a criminal investigation called Operation U-Tree was launched after a flood of complaints. Okay. On the 22nd, Pan Panorama broadcast a special on Seville. On the 23rd, Entwistle appears before the Culture, Media, and Sports Select Committee to discuss the matter. Okay. Later... That month, the BBC asks Dame Janet Smith to investigate the culture at BBC during the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Okay, so, like, the BBC being, like, invested. That's literally We're gonna like, investigate, investigate ourselves. us. Yeah. Inves I'm going to investigate myself. Oh, my God. On November 10th, George Entwistle resigns. Okay. Uh, January 11th of 2013, the report from Scotland Yard, which collaborated with the NSPCC, finds that Seville was a prolific predatory sexual offender. Shocker. In 2014, June 26th, a report into Seville's actions at NHS Hospital is presented to then-Health Se Secretary Jeremy Hunt. Oof. It found that he assaulted victims in NHS hospitals over several decades, including Leeds General Infirmary, where 60 people aged from 5 to 75 including both staff and patients, stated that they had been abused by Seville. In February 26th of 2015, another report into the Stoke Mandeville Hospital found he has sexually abused more than 50 people there, including staff, patients, and visitors, one as young as eight. Wow. In 2016, the Dame Janet Smith report comes back, finding that the staff at BBC missed numerous opportunities to stop him. Missed. Missed. Heavy quotes Heavy on that. quotes, yeah. She identifies 72 people who were the victims of sexual crimes while he worked at the BBC, the youngest being 10. Oh, my God. The earliest reported incident was the rape of a 13-year-old girl at Lime Grove Studios in 1959. The latest one that was reported was in 2006 at the last recording of Top of the Pops. Wow. Now, the review found misconduct had been committed at virtually everyone on the BBC premise at which he worked. Okay. 
She said some BBC staff were aware of complaints but did not pass the information to senior management due to the culture of not complaining. Mm. Seville's estate was worth four million pounds at his death in 2011. It was distributed in 2016 to personal injury compensation complainants and various legal advisors. A significant number of individuals lodged claims against the estate after Seville's death, alleging sexual abuse against them. So all of his victims got whatever was left. Now, after all this, BBC faced a massive amount of backlash, obviously. In November 2012, the BBC confirmed that it would no longer be airing repeats of Top of the Pops on BBC Four featuring Seville as a presenter, which is the least they could fucking do. They went the route of, like, the WWE, where they just pretended it never (laughs) happened. Never happened. It stated that it would be more aware and change its policy so nothing like this would ever happen again. Oh, my God. Cue the eye roll. Yeah. It only took how many decades for them to be called out about it? Get off. Ugh. Not much has happened besides that. They have not seen any lawsuits happening publicly, but that doesn't mean that there won't be any as this case is still pretty ongoing. Yeah. And it's even more difficult considering... He dead. Yeah. Like <laughs> they still try to hold BBC accountable though, because yeah, they were yes. obviously very much involved. Yes. Now, to top this off, <laughs> BBC decided to do something really interesting and get in front of the scandal, quote unquote unquote. Last year, in 2021, it was announced that the BBC was making a series based on Seville's terrible deeds with Steve Coogan playing Seville. Oh, sweet Steve Coogan, why? I know, but the thing is, is like Steve Coogan is definitely like <clears throat> you put a blonde wig on him, and he is definitely. Yeah, a I put pictures up here, and I was like, yeah. "God damn it!" I was looking at pictures earlier and saw the series. Me so come up. sad because I used to have a crush on Steve Coogan when I was younger. I'm not even kidding. Why? <laughs> Wait, because why? I had a thing for British people. I mean, I, did, I was a teenager. I did too, but don't not ask Coogan. I was all about it, especially when, he's a great actor. But like, I loved it exactly. It's it was Steve mostly Coogan. his voice that got me. Okay, fair enough. You know? Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, you don't get into British people for their looks. Okay? I don't know, man. You get into them for their voice. <laughs> you got somebody like David Tennant. Ooh. I do love David Ooh. Tennant. But he's also not he's like... beautiful. Like traditionally gorgeous, right? He's like quirky, he's weird, He's like nerdy, cute. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So again... That's true. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> And now I'm trying to think of like traditionally right. handsome, uh, like Robert Pattinson. Like I don't, he I is don't he is like that. that chiseled like I don't know about that thing. I'm not <laughs> saying thing. I find him attractive, but I'm just saying like he is like he also classically has a weird, handsome, a weird gothy aesthetic to me. Yeah, he was outside of by, him playing. He a was vampire. cursed by Twilight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, oh just God. his look makes yeah. me think like British man in a castle. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> and as you can see by like all the photos that I put in here, he wore a lot of track suits. And yes. I just want to end this with uh, never trust a man who exclusively wears track suits. <laughs> Advice to live by. <laughs> that is the story of sexual predator extraordinary Jimmy Seville. <laughs> You know, I saw this topic. I had to cover a topic from our down home state of Illinois. Oh, like, boy. And 
This is one. So I didn't really start honestly, getting... Vicky. I thought you were going to cover Anthony Weiner. I honestly thought you were going to go that. Direction. I was tempted. Yeah, I was tempted. <laughs> I had. I definitely knew that I wanted to cover something from the U.S. because, as I've said many times this episode, like sexual abuse and U.S. politics seem to go hand in hand in yeah. some cases. Um, Which is why the whole PizzaGate issue, yeah, hinges on reality. Yeah, and like, <laughs> like even now, like Matt Getz is being um, indicted that for guy. alleged sexual abuse. Um, We're gonna say hardcore sexual abuse. Yeah, <laughs> there it's is no alleged, still alleged because he has not been convicted in a court of law. And legally God. speaking. I'm not trying to get sued. So <laughs> come at me, Matt Gates. <laughs> come at this so, tiny podcast that no one listens to. <laughs> we had we had Anthony Weiner. <clears throat> we had um uh oh my god, there's so there's there has been so many that's like okay. Uh a lot of them are southern. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh a lot of them are like <laughs> Southern white Republicans. Yeah. Weird. Strange how that happens. Um this one is not super southern. He is a Republican. He is our very own Dennis Haster. Oh god, make <laughs> 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 oh, no. I know. I know. And so so I didn't really get into politics until probably it, honestly it was not that long ago. It was probably like twenty Mm, 2014 oh in the run-up to Meanwhile, the you have me over here who has been protesting since diapers. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I will say, like, in that time, I have become very politically active. Mm-hmm. I've definitely educated myself on things that are happening now. But to that same cause, like, there's a lot of stuff that has happened in the past that I am not totally aware of, that mm-hmm. I'm learning about, that I am hearing about as we research these things. Sometimes they come up and it's like, okay, and you start to connect the dots. The thing is, is I know Dennis Hastert. Mm-hmm. I know when we were in school, we learned he was the Speaker of the House at the yeah, time. Right, very classic, yeah. At mm-hmm. the time, he was from Illinois. I knew that, like, yep. that was a big deal. Um, but I was not aware of his career um outside of that mm-hmm. and when he made the news in recent years for things that we will talk about um mm-hmm. it was i want to say not i want to say it was surprising but it really wasn't just due to our track record of fraudulent um politicians yeah but let's dive into it let's dive into it. fraudulent <laughs> yes all of the problems. So Dennis Haster was originally from Aurora, Illinois. He grew up working in – his family had, like, quite a few businesses. They had a family farm. They had a, a farm supply business. And then when he was uh, a little older, they actually had a family restaurant that he worked in as a fry cook. Uh, at some point in high school, he became a born-again Christian while he – What year was this? Uh, this would have been in the early 60s. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and he was going to Oswego High School at the time. Mm-hmm. And he, while he was there, he was also a star wrestler and a football player. Now, Hasser attended Wheaton College, which is a, I believe it's a private evangelical university. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he graduated with a BA in economics. In 1967, he received his master's in philosophy of education from Northern Illinois University. Hey. So he's a fellow <laughs> alum. You should gross. be proud of that. No. Yeah. We are super like gross. the number one education school. So it's true. Yeah. 
while he was, t- <laughs> this makes it even worse. Um, while he was attending NIU, Hester worked for Yorkville Community Unit School District 115, teaching high school government, history, economics, and sociology, along with coaching football and wrestling. Classic. In fact, Hassert was able to lead the Yorkville High School wrestling team to the state title in 1976, even earning himself Illinois Coach of the Year. Interesting. Along with coaching, Hassert stayed... Interesting. <laughs> a lot. These are all things I'm going to say remember for later. Yes. Along with coaching, Hassert stayed active in the community by volunteering with the Boy Scouts Explorer Post 540. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. These are all red flags. Yeah. <laughs> Just working with the Boy Scouts is a red the flag. Boy Scouts, fry cook, wrestling coach. <laughs> red flags. Evangelical. Right? Yeah. yeah. Evangelicals, number one. Uh, after 16 years of working as a high school teacher and coach, Hasser took a sharp turn into politics. Is um, it really that sharp? Yeah. It, I ex- mean, education is political. <laughs> it is, but he does not. Like, at, even at the time, he admitted, like, he didn't know anything about politics. He had his hey, BA. Wait, wait, wasn't he teaching it? He was. Government? He was teaching <laughs> government, yes. <laughs> I will <laughs> argue that government is very different from politics. I mean, but you have to talk about politics to talk about government. Yes, but <laughs> government, the Just way the-, the government functions and the politics of that government, I think, are two very different things. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can know how the government is supposed to functionally work and mm-hmm. know nothing about politics and probably wouldn't be very successful. Well, I mean, but like, I don't know, though, because, like, the entire impetus of the organization of that system was because we were trying to avoid the way that, you know, oligarchy and things were influencing quote unquote government in england yeah yeah <laughs> but i mean i i do think i mean can you talk about one one without the other not really but i do think you can look at them as two totally separate things because mm-hmm. there is a system we have set in place of how the government is supposed to function ideally with rules and regulations and all sorts of things and then once <laughs> you have our friend over here, politics, that sort of enters the equation, it really, really, like, muddies everything up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, point is, he did not consider himself a political person and kind of decided, because he was originally considering into going into administration, like educational administration, and applying for, I think, a principal job. Which is very political. Yes. It's gross. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, instead, he decided to go into politics like I said, he he had said at the time, I don't know anything about politics. Some people may argue that is still the case. <laughs> uh, but his first run in the 1980 Republican primary for the Illinois House of Representatives was a failure, although it did net him quite a few political co- connections. Afterward, Hasser began volunteering for State Senator John E. Grotberg before being tapped to replace Representative Al Shoberim, Shoberim? Sure. Um, (laughs) After he fell terminally ill. During this time in the Illinois House, Haster gained a reputation for being on the far right politically, but being able to set aside partisanship and negotiate across the aisle. Big words. (laughs) Yes. Of note, during his time in the House, Haster fought against the Equal Rights Amendment, which... For those that don't know, ERA wow. was <clears throat> about equality for women. Just surprise. Call um, me surprised. Yeah. Uh, and he opposed legislature that banned discrimination against homosexuality, as well as various efforts to deregulate utility companies. Mm-hmm. 
uh, very classically Republican. <laughs> yeah. In another interesting twist, Hastert kickstarted his career in national politics by replacing yet another sick congressman. I It's funny going through his career because he just seems to kind of luck out on people getting wicked sick mm-hmm. and then just like sneaking in to replace them, which I guess yeah. good timing, but like weird. Uh, In 1986, Gropberg, who was currently serving as the representative for Illinois' 14th district and who Hastert had previously worked for, was diagnosed with cancer, preventing a run for a second term. Hastert was nominated to run for his seat, eventually winning over Democrat Mary Lou Kearns. Now, this is kind of where the scandals start creeping into his career. And this is not just sexual abuse scandals, but these are like political scandals. Like, it's all sorts of stuff. In 1992, the House banking scandal, also known as Rubbergate. I uh, love the names. I know. (laughs) So Rubbergate broke, implicating around 400 representatives, many of which didn't actually commit any crimes. The gist of it is that it had to do with the the U.S. House of Representatives allowing members to overdraw their House accounts without any consequences. Mm -hmm. Um. Hastert himself had bounced 44 checks in that time period. What? Yes. What? 44 checks. But was cleared by the Department of Justice, who said he probably hadn't done anything illegal. Okay, except for if it was a regular person, they'd be fucking arrested for fraud. Yeah, That's fine. Probably. I will say, so like that, Rubbergate is like its own thing to look into. A lot of these things that I'm going to touch on today are because they're like their own big scandals. And part of it had to do with this checking account that is run through the U.S. House of Representatives is actually a clearinghouse. Um, I have to deal with that at work. Which <laughs> it's all confusing and yeah. fucking stupid. As soon as they were like, well, it's actually a clearinghouse. I'm like, yep, I know all about I, – I know as much as I need to know about this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to get into – financial things or not. As much as I find them interesting, they are not my <clears throat> forte in, like, understanding no. what's going it's on. It's stupid. I hate accounting, and I think it's fucking dumb. Just give me a budget, and that's it. Just tell me I'm allowed to spend this much money in a year. Yeah. Why? why? Yeah. (laughs) It Um, infuriates me. So following this little speed bump, Hastert quickly rose through the ranks, eventually becoming the heir apparent of the House Speaker. During this time, AP described Hastert in the following way. Okay. Quote, During six terms in Congress, representing a GOP-leaning slice of farmland and far-flung western Chicago suburbs, Hastert had made his mark brokering backroom compromises that balance many competing interests. He is an evangelical Christian who opposes abortion and advocates lower taxes, a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution, and the death penalty. And to wrap it all up... He's got it all! I know. (laughs) And to wrap it all up... Quote, even as Hastert made a name for himself as a House Republicans leader on anti-narcotics efforts, he used that platform to crusade against federal money for needle exchange programs, which backers argue can help stem the spread of AIDS among drug users, which you have to remember, like at this time, notorious anti-AIDS. Yes. And we were right in the middle of the AIDS crisis um, with a shit ton of mixed messaging coming from the Republican led executive branch who was like yep. AIDS is a gay problem which obviously <laughs> we now know that is not the case like yeah 
Not to mention the fact that just the sheer hypocrisy. Oh my god! Of like Nancy Reagan's best fucking friends with all these gay men who are literally fucking dying before her, and she's like, "Lol, no yeah. thanks." Oh my god! Don't even get me Fuck. started on the Reagans. Yeah. <laughs> um. In another interesting twist that seemed to work out in his favor, Haster again propelled his career forward by stepping in at the right moment. In 1998, the House Speaker at the time, Newt Gingrich. Which is a name, <laughs> name everybody Old knows, Newt-y. I think. Um, he actually opted to step down as Speaker and refused to serve his 11th term in Congress, leaving the Speakership open. Now, at the time, Representative Robert Livingston of Louisiana had been selected to step into the Speakership role, but announced he wouldn't be taking the seat due to controversy surrounding his newly public extramarital affairs. Oops. They'd be fucking, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, immediately, Haster began bargaining for support to take the seat, eventually winning out and becoming the longest serving speaker of the House in U.S. history. He was eventually succeeded by Nancy Pelosi in 2006. Again, another one to go fuck themselves. Yes. I hate Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, I'm not a fervor. I am not a fan. Um, I don't like any politician. Really. Yeah. Well, you're an anarchist. Like, really? I mean, I expect no less. I mean, yeah. I can respect Bernie Sanders a little bit because he was really anarchistic oh, in I his beginnings. Him. Yes. Um, you know, he he's got my man. sold out. <laughs> it's fine. He's <laughs> sold out, goddammit. I mean, what is not, what, what can, what can I ask for? I mean, a man who would steal electricity? Yes. Did you know that? No. He stole electricity. He built a house, his first house with his, his wife. Okay. And he stole, he siphoned electricity. Nice. Like, he was, I'm not kidding, Get it he was burned. an anarchist. I love that. I love <laughs> that. he sold himself out. So, <laughs> that's kind of just like a very brief overview of Hassard's sort of political career. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to it. it like I said, it's all, an entire rabbit hole of it in itself. But I wanted to kind of like, before we get into the nitty gritty of this case, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to highlight a few more of the scandals that sort of peppered his career. Norm Ornstein with The Atlantic wrote this really great article that's like, this is not the only scandal that Hastert has had. Here's all the other scandals oh, yeah. that he had. Yeah. As most politicians, you got to get a couple under yes. your belt before you get a big one. Yeah. Um, so Representative Tom DeLay, one of Hastert's political mentors, was implicated in the Jack Abramoff scandal, which I'm pretty sure we talked about on the show. If not, we've definitely mentioned it in passing. Probably. I was like, I th- I think I covered that Some at some point. Some kind of blur together. Yes. <laughs> um, he was eventually indicted himself. Uh, this was followed closely by the revelation of Florida Representative Mark Foley engaging in inappropriate contacts with male pages. Huh. <laughs> reports, had been, reports had been made to the speaker's office and were ignored until it was made public. From This is from the Atlantic article, quote, When Hastert mentor delay ran into problems, Hastert tried to bottle them up. When they became so pronounced and repeated that they could not be swept away, the ethics committee set up a subcommittee and did its duty, recommending a series of reprimands for delay in 2004. Too many damn committees. Hassert's response was to fire the committee chair, along with two other Republicans on the subcommittee, replacing them with loyalists, and the next year, seeking rule changes to make it harder to admonish his colleagues. Hastert also acted after three Texas associates of DeLay were indicted by enacting a rule that would enable DeLay to stay as majority leader if he were indicted. God. So he essentially was like... He was like, I'm getting rid of you guys that don't agree with me. Uh-huh. I'm set. I'm putting these rules like just in case you get indicted, like just to make sure that you can still stay on these committees. Like, 
Yeah. That's why the whole committee system is fucking stupid and yeah. pointless. Yeah. Kasser also used his position of political power to enrich himself. Again, um, from the Atlantic article, quote, Hasser manipulated a series of complex land transactions in his home state of Illinois in concert with wealthy patrons to take his net worth from a negligible amount to many millions of dollars while he was serving as Speaker of the House, buying land at a low price while his associates purchased adjacent land at a much higher price, and then merging the parcels and creating a trust that gave Hasser an inflated share. Why would you ever agree to that? Money. But like money, 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 money. How is that beneficial to them? They're money. not making that much more if they're buying the parcel at a higher price. Yeah, I'm sure there was probably Stupid. some sort of power exchange too. Like, we'll help you out with this if you can get this deregulation bill passed mm-hmm. to make us more money on this side. Like, I'm sure there had to be some sort of backroom deal there. So fucking dumb. Again, there's like way more <laughs> to yeah. all of this. Um, but all of this is stuff that happened before the big scandal broke. <laughs> Although he had won re-election for the 2007 session of Congress, the Republicans lost the majority in the House and therefore Hastert would lose his position as Speaker of the House. If you remember, 2007, um, Barack Obama won the seat. Uh, the presidential seat yep. uh, for 2008. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there was this huge flip of the House from um, Republican to Democrat. Shortly after the Republicans lost the majority, he announced he wasn't going to be seeking re-election for the 2008 term. Um, and actually, he resigned before he resigned. <laughs> he don't resign. He don't resigned. <laughs> uh, actually, he resigned right before the end of the 2007 session. After finishing in Congress, Hastert joined the lobbying side of things and pretty much fuck la- lobbyists. Which I'm just like, yep, that's also fuck normal. lobbyists, yeah. Um, he joined the lobbying side of things. He pretty much then like lay low until May 2015 when federal officials announced an indictment from a federal grand jury. Oh boy. Now, the uh, let me start by saying <laughs> that. Part of the reason I find this case really interesting, other than it's like another perfect example of fraud from Illinois that we have oh so many examples of, yes. like literally politicians in Illinois, please stop committing fraud. As stop, I'm, we should just stop having politicians. I am trying. <laughs> I'm trying to appeal to your better nature as somebody who lives in this state. Just stop, please. Stop frauding. Just stop. Stop frauding so hard. <laughs> Um, but I, uh, the legal aspects of this case are so interesting. Not in the best way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but they are really interesting. So the indictment alleged that in 2010, Hastert met with someone only referred to as individual A to discuss past mi- misconduct by Hastert against individual A. Mm-hmm. During these meetings, Hastert agreed to provide $3.5 million in compensation for his past conduct. Okay. Um, the indictment also said that both the FBI and IRS had begun investigating Hastert in 2013 when these they started seeing these suspicious withdrawals happening out of his bank account. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it flagged um, – There's there is a federal regulation where banks have to report transactions larger than $10,000, I think. Um, so – they were seeing these withdrawals happening in certain amounts and it kind of flagged something for the agencies as a way to avoid having to report these transactions. Mm -hmm. Their investigation was to find out what this money could be for, including whether he was specifically withdrawing cash in small amounts to avoid reporting it, 
whether it he was using the money to cover up past misconduct, whether the money was being used for a criminal purpose, whether Hassert was part of a criminal extortion plot, or whether the money was being used for another purpose. Like, mm-hmm. it was entirely possible that this was legit, but they had to look into it. Yeah. Now, Hassert was also accused of lying to the FBI. Surprise. About these payments when he was asked. Like, when the original indictment came out, it was all very vague. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty much the information that was in there. Is like, we're looking into these payments. He met with individual A about past misconduct. Um, but more and more details about these payments would make their way into the public eye as the case went on. Now, the FBI first became aware something was up with Hasser in 2012, but the investigation officially began in 2013. So they went in to question him about the structuring of the withdrawals. And Hasser at the time kind of said, I don't really trust the banks, so I'm withdrawing my money to keep it in a safe place. Mm-hmm. Which could be legit. Right. It was a lie. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> you have to produce that could money, Could be sir. legit, but yeah. <laughs> um, now, after the indictment was released and Hassert was arraigned, he was released on his own recognizance on bail of $4,500. The day after the indictment was released, a person familiar with the matter released to the press that individual A was, in fact, a man who had been sexually harassed by Hastert during his time at Yorkville High School, and that of the $3.5 million um, requested to be paid, $1.7 million had actually already been paid out. Hmm. What followed were more allegations of sexual misconduct from other students, which would end up being five in total from his time at Yorkville High School, where he was involved with the Boy Scouts Explorers Club and the wrestling coach. Like <laughs> he was around all of the fucking oh children. My God. Yes. Yes. So wrestling, man. <sighs> this indictment comes out. There's like every day, sometimes like every hour, there's like details coming out about what these allegations actually are. People were wondering, okay, well, we only see these fraud crimes in here. Like, what's going on with that? So there's one major issue with all of this. And that is because of the length of time between the investigate the FBI's investigation and when the abuse happened, the statute of limitations had run out. Mm-hmm. So Hassart one was unable to be indicted for these crimes, unfortunately. The allegations included individual A being molested by Haster in a hotel room while on a wrestling camp trip with Haster using the guise of a massage for inappropriate touching. Individual B being molested at 14 in a locker room, again with Haster telling him to get on a table for a massage and instead performing a sexual act. Individual D made similar claims of the massage ruse, including that at one point Hastert had set up a lazy boy chair in direct view of the shower stalls in the boys' locker room. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. A full-on fucking lazy boy. Yeah. But they're not small. No. And it was was a lazy boy, like, type chair, like a recliner, but Mm -hmm. still, like, just like a fucking recliner to watch boys in the shower. Individual C alleged that Hastert brushed his hand over his genitals, making him incredibly uncomfortable. The only person to be named by name was Steve Reinbolt, whose story was actually being told by his younger sister, Jolene, um, Jolene Burge, because so Steve had had previously told like way back when they were in high school, Steve had told his sister about the abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, he 
died in the mid 80s due to AIDS. Mm. And so he was unable to obviously fight for himself, but his sister very much like took on the mantle of making sure that her brother was being represented. Um, Mm -hmm. I have total respect for this woman because she talked, she talks about how, and this is, Oh my God. So it makes me want to cry, honestly, because it's Mm -hmm. so fucked up. She talks about Hasser going to his funeral. Oh my God. um, When he died in the mid eighties and confronting him outside and saying, what, you know, why did you do it? Why did you sexually abuse my brother all these years ago? And him not saying anything, not denying it, not, you know, trying to object, just like being quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and her straight up telling him, like, I want you to know that somebody knows and this is never going to go away. And mm-hmm. I am the person that is going to keep reminding you that I know what you did, mm-hmm. which like, fuck yeah, girl. Yeah. You know, it's just is sad really sad now when all of this came to light the media of course looked back on Hassert's career in kind of a new lens he's got to be doing it other places you don't just molest a bunch of children and stop well and even just like looking at the stuff in his political career Mm -hmm. so besides the obviously obvious mishandling of the mark foley scandal Hassert had a record of voting for tougher punishments for child sexual abuse. Interesting. Um, like, he even had come out and was like, I want to see every fucking pedophile in jail. <laughs> Interesting. Weird how that works little out. little evangelical guilt there for you. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so true. Like, it is. It is. They always say the opposite of what they're actually doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Hassler immediately resigned from the lobbying firm and the Yorkville school district made a statement saying it was unaware of any abuse allegations against the former coach and teacher. Now, privately, Hasser was claiming to also be a victim of the ordeal, claiming that he was <laughs> being extorted. I to death. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh, victim. Yeah. He was like, yeah, they're trying to extort me all this money. And then agree, <laughs> agreed to help the FBI by recording a conversation between himself and individual A where they were talking about these payments and, um, you know, obviously he was trying not to report the money that he was taking out of his bank account, but at the mm-hmm. same time was trying to essentially frame individual A um, as this extortion plot. And he went in and the FBI was like, yeah, it was pretty clear to us that like this was not extortion because in the replies to their conversation, like Dennis Hasser would say something. He said, yeah, individual A was like, really understanding like you know you whenever you have the money is fine you know very he there wasn't like a lot of pushback of like no i need it now yeah it became very clear that it was actually the opposite and can it really i mean can it be extortion when you're the person who's being abused it's not like you have tapes Um, on somebody else you know yes so yes because if it's more of a blackmail situation where it's like pay me this money or I release this information, like that's mm-hmm. when it kind of goes into the extortion. Um, but really, like what was happening here was essentially a settlement that was not involved in the courts. Yeah. Um, it was not like a pay me money to keep me quiet, although they do call it hush money payments. But mm-hmm. it was more of a pay me for my pain and suffering type deal. Yeah. Of course, this was extra big news considering the Illinois track record on corrupt officials. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
We had a lot of news got this year. <laughs> Later in 2015, it was announced that Hastert had come to some sort of plea agreement related to the fraud charges and likely to continue to hide information re- relating to the sexual abuse allegations. Hastert pleaded guilty to one fraud charge. The lying to the FBI charge had been dropped as part of the plea agreement. Now, shortly after um, the uh, he was he was found guilty. Shortly after, Hastert had a stroke that delayed the sentencing on his case, mm-hmm. and there was like this bit of a bit of back and forth um, because Hastert kept delaying because of all these health issues. Um, and that's like the dude is not young; like yeah. he is not young at all. And of the like two, I think he had only appeared in court like two times in person. Um, the first time he was there was when he was being arraigned. Second time was at his um, when he was convicted and he came in in a wheelchair. I mean, he looked yeah. real frail. Um, That's also classic when you get caught. Your uh, health tends to go downhill. Harvey Weinstein did it. Yeah. Bill Cosby did it. Yeah. Like, Yeah. <laughs> So there was all this back and forth because he was having health issues, but then the judge was actually delaying the trial because he wanted the victims of the sexual abuse to be able to come into court and testify, give their testimony about the events that happened, which his lawyers didn't like. They were like fighting back, like, why can't we get this going now? And the judge was like, cool it. Yeah, Yeah, it was the whole thing. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So he finally showed in court to be sentenced. Also, as a part of the plea deal, the judge made sure that Hassert had to admit to his past abuse in court. Oh, boy. Uh, and that the victims, like I said, were allowed to testify. All, although the statute of limitations had expired on the sexual abuse, the judge did consider this um, during his choosing of the sentencing. Mm-hmm. The prosecution said during court, quote, the federal and state statutes of limitation have long expired on potential charges relating to the defendant's known sexual acts against individual A and other minors. These known acts consist of the defendant's intentional touching of minors groin area and genitals or oral sex with the minor. With this case, the government seeks to hold defendant accountable for the crimes he committed that he can still be prosecuted. Defendant's structuring of catch withdrawals and his lies to the government about that activity. But those crimes, while recent, have their origin in the defendant's past. And when handing down his own sentence, the judge stated, quote, nothing is more stunning than having the words serial child molester and speaker of the house in the same sentence. But is it, though? Ugh. Because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who've done a lot of things like this in government. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ultimately, the judge gave I Hass- mean, there's one on the fucking Supreme Court right now. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Fucking Kavanaugh. Sorry. Uh, really yeah. It's kind of sad. I know. <laughs> I know. Ultimately, the ju- judge gave Hasser a 15-month prison sentence. Just to put that in perspective, it was recommended by the prosecutors that it was six months. Um, so again, based on the financial crimes, like Mm -hmm. there is a maximum sentence. So he was able, he got him 15 months in prison, uh, two years of supervised release, sex offender treatment, and a $250,000 fine. Hassert did not (laughs) appeal the sentence. And after serving 13 months, Hassert was released from prison and returned to Chicago. There were a few lawsuits that came after sentencing. In 2016, individual A sued Hastert for breach of contract, and Hastert countersued to try and get his hush money back. Mm -hmm. He was like, no, just give me all the money back. 
Um, the case is actually, there's a little back and forth. The case is actually settled in late 2021 for an undisclosed amount. Another lawsuit by a man named Richard Doe allegedly uh, alleged that Hastert had sexually assaulted him in the bathroom in Yorkville, but because the statute of limitations had run out on abuse, the case was dismissed. This is the piece that I find probably the most interesting is so Hasser lost his teacher's pension with the state of Illinois. That's surprising. Um, which he did try to <laughs> he did try to fight because he was like, um, the crimes that I was convicted of, the fraud crimes, didn't occur while I was teaching. Mm-hmm. But they stem from abuse that happened yep. while you were teaching. I'm actually pretty surprised. You fuck so. with. So yeah. He also lost his pension from the Illinois General Assembly because he received a pension for working for the state general assembly as of 2015 he was still receiving his congressional pension that tracks <laughs> like what the fuck mm-hmm. i don't know that to me i was probably the most surprised about like seriously like we're still paying this asshat's pension congressional I'm pension not surprised yeah i'm not surprised gross. By anything. gross i'm surprised he lost any pensions at all i mean i'm glad he did yeah Take more. <laughs> but I'm sure he's still going to be hired out as, like, a senior advisor Could to lobbying firms if he's not yeah. retired already. Um, Isn't he dead yet? <laughs> no. Damn. Unfortunately not. Uh, so that is the story of Dennis Hazard. He's still around Hazard kicking. the bastard. <laughs> if you see him in Chicago. Spit on him. <laughs> I am not advocating for. I am. Spit on him. <laughs> um. So, how about, first of all, let's just give a blanket, like, do not sexually abuse children. Yeah, I didn't know we had to do that, but sure, yeah. But also, check out this podcast. Murder Road Trip is a true crime podcast where I, your host, Haley, discuss murder cases in my car, a.k.a. the Mobile Beats Lab. Join me and my partner in crime, H.H. Gnomes, on the road. There will be games, mixtapes, and snacks as I make the research journey to murder scenes around the world. Make sure to check your back seat, and I'll see you at the next rest stop. It's a horrible segue. Listen! This is the worst segue we've ever I would have done. done something related. I had to do something related to the episode. There's so so I just many said, other things. I just said, don't do, don't sexually abuse children. I thought that was a good sentiment. Do you disagree? <laughs> don't disagree with the sentiment. I disagree with the segue. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm mortified. We need a boo. I need a boo in here. Boo. <laughs> I like that. I wish it was longer. So if you haven't noticed, Janelle, <laughs> Janelle for our anniversary gave me, um, it's called Instant Audience and it's like a yeah. little soundboard thing. It's. I feel yeah. like we needed to really bring some more radio vibes into here and have a soundboard. Yes, maybe we'll invest. <laughs> Got in our hip I was just like, let's get let's get the most absurd ones that don't make sense, and we'll somehow use them. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, folks. That has been our episode. Uh, this week I don't actually think we have any announcements. No. Right now. We're, it's gonna be low key. It is. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more like this at badtastecrimepod.com, where we have all of our episodes and links to our merch store. If you wanted to check that out, merch it up. Or to our donate page, if you Mm -hmm. wanted to support the show. Uh, What else? 
You can you go can, on our YouTubes. Go on our YouTubes. Check out our Facebook and Instagram. Um, we're kind of everywhere. Yeah, just check it out. Drop us a line. We love when you guys say hi. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, it's I weird to talk about talk about at the end of the episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, we just got done doing a live show, so mm-hmm. we're gonna take a little little time to just do the pod. Yes, <laughs> just just focus on the pod. All right. With that said, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Jackshevsky, the Enigma. I just have like all sorts of buttons on my desk. I, know, now I feel amazing. like we need to do a sound for Tiff. <laughs> Get the clap, the audience. Do we clap. Have, oh, here. oh, we know. There's just, what's the other one? How many are on there? I forgot. Four. <laughs> Four. There's a oh, pa- crickets. I forgot. Pause. The crickets. crickets. I don't want to give her crickets. No. That's me. Oh, yeah. There we go. There that works. Shot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we we will be back with you guys in two weeks. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Ten women have left their bodies on the hillsides along the highway. It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all people in some form or another.